Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. We just pray that as the kids go out to Sunday school that you will bless them, that they can have a good time there, that they can learn more about you, um, that they can learn more about your death and resurrection and what that has done for them. And what um, We pray, Lord, that they can grow in their faith in you as well. We pray for the teachers, that they can lead them in truth. Lord, we um, pray also for the opening of your word. We pray that you'll lead us through that with your spirit. We pray for Carl that you'll um, bless him and that he can lead us through the passage we're about to read. In Jesus' name, amen. The kids can head off to Sunday school. Carl's going to preach to us today on Leviticus chapter 5 verse 14 to chapter 6 verse 7 and the theme of his sermon is um, repaying heavy debts plus some. So we'll read Leviticus 5 from verse 14 where it says, The Lord said to Moses, When a person commits a violation and sins unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, he is to bring to the Lord as a penalty a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value in silver, according to the sanctuary shekel. It is a guilt offering. He must make restitution for what he has failed to do in regard to the holy things, add a fifth of the value to that and give it all to the priest who will make atonement for him with the ram as a guilt offering and he will be forgiven. If a person sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though he does not know it, he is guilty and will be held responsible He is to bring to the priest as a guilt offering a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. In this way the priest will make atonement for him for the wrong he has committed unintentionally and he will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has been guilty of wrongdoing against the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving his neighbour about something entrusted to him or left in his care or stolen or if he cheats him or if he finds lost property and lies about it or if he swears falsely or if he commits any such sin that people may do when he thus sins and becomes guilty he must return what he has stolen or taken by extortion or what was entrusted to him or the lost property he found, or whatever it was he swore falsely about. He must make restitution in full, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the owner on the day he presents his guilt offering. And as a penalty he must bring to the priest, that is to the Lord, his guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. In this way the priest will make atonement for him before the Lord and he will be forgiven for any of these things he did that made him guilty. Thanks, Carl. Been having lunch up here or something yet? Well, uh, we're in the middle of a, a studies, uh, sorry, a series of studies uh, on the book of Leviticus. Uh, and if you're joining us uh, here for the first time, then welcome. 
Uh, and this whole uh, book, uh, if you like, of Leviticus that we're looking at is, uh, is a book that God gave to people uh, thousands of years ago before Jesus came uh, as a way of uh, painting a picture, if you like, of how we can know God uh, and how our broken relationship with God can be fixed. Ultimately, it's a book uh, about Jesus uh, and it's a book about how Jesus uh, can bring us to God, how Jesus can reconcile us with God. Uh, and for the, the last four weeks, we've been going through the first uh, five chapters and we've looked at four different uh, offerings. Uh, we've looked at how those offerings uh, give us a picture of what it looks like to have a working and a good relationship with Jesus uh, and with God. And today we're looking at the last uh, of those offerings in the beginning of Leviticus uh, and that offering uh, is called the guilt offering. Uh, and like last week, the guilt offering is uh, an offering which is re- in response to a particular sin. So the first three offerings were, were just offerings that people brought out of the gladness of their heart. Uh, but last week we had the first offering which was a response to particular sin and, and again this week the guilt offering is a response to particular sin. The description of this uh, guilt offering begins in verse 15 and it says, When a person commits a violation and sins unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, he is to bring to the Lord as a penalty a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value in silver, according to the sanctuary shekel. It is a guilt offering. I guess the question uh, that is perhaps quite puzzling as we look at this passage is, what does it mean to commit a violation and sin unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things. What, what does that mean? What would that have looked like for those people uh, in the days that these commands were given? Well, in Leviticus, uh, as you read through, you come across holy things a few times uh, and probably the best example of what holy things are and what is being referred to here is found in Leviticus chapter 27. Leviticus 27 gives a long list uh, of regulations for devoting things to God. So a person uh, could devote uh, a person to God, they could devote themselves, uh, they could devote uh, some of their animals, uh, their house or part of their land to God. They could devote that to God and it would become, uh, if you like, a holy thing. Uh, In verse 28 of chapter 27, God tells Moses, but nothing that a man owns and devotes to the Lord, whether man or animal or family or land, None of that may be sold or redeemed. Everything so devoted is most holy to the Lord. So the holy things that are being talked about in the guilt offering, the holy things are the things that people have devoted to God. So the next question is, how do people sin in relation to the holy things? Well, the second thing uh, which which helps us come to grips with what the guilt offering is about, is understanding how the guilt offering is different from, say, the sin offering and from all the other offerings that have come before it in Leviticus. What is kind of the chief difference in the guilt offering compared to everything else? Maybe you picked that up as we were going through, uh, that one of the, 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 the main difference, I suppose, is that there's a monetary kind of component to this, that, that people had to pay money. So uh, the ram which had to be brought... Uh, had to be of the proper value in silver according to the sanctuary shekel in verse 15. And then in verse 16, 
the person must make restitution for what he has failed to do in regard to the holy things, add a fifth to the value and give it to the priest who will make atonement for him with the ram as a guilt offering and he will be forgiven. What's going on? What's going on is that people had to repay God for sinning against the holy things. That's why sometimes this offering is called by people not just the guilt offering but the reparation offering or the compensation offering or I kind of prefer the repayment offering because the idea is that people had devoted things to God and they'd sinned against it by robbing God of what had been devoted to him. The repayment offering points to the fact that we are able to steal from God things that people have devoted to him, things that belong to him. Now we don't have a temple anymore obviously and we don't have to bring sacrifices of rams and all that kind of thing uh, and we don't sort of make vows of, uh, of uh, devotion in the way that people did in the Old Testament. But the repayment offering always pointed to this deeper reality that you can steal things from God. And so the question I suppose for us is, how do we steal from God? How might we steal from God? Maybe a more uh, helpful first question is, what belongs to God that you might actually steal? I guess the short answer to that is everything, isn't it? That's the truth. What belongs to God? Everything belongs to God. We rob God when we don't use for God's purposes the things that God has given us. I remember once uh, when I was at Bible college, one of the lecturers prayed that God would give us wisdom to use the money that he'd loaned us. Isn't Isn't that profound? It's a profound thought. It's not my money, but it's what God has loaned me to use for his purposes. Imagine that you're uh, an agronomist. No, wait, that's, uh, that's going to be too hard. But imagine that you're a, uh, a builder, uh, you work for a builder, and uh, this, your, your boss comes to you and says, uh, I want you to build this house. You know, we've got a contract to build this house and I want you to build it. And he gives you the tools for the job and he gives you all the materials and he, and he gives you the time to go there and do that job uh, and instead of taking the tools and the materials and the time to go and build the house he's asked you to build, you take all that stuff to your own block of land and you build your own house. You build an extension and you, know, you spend all the time and use all the resources to build something for yourself. Use everything he's given you not to do what he's asked you to do or what he's equipped you to do but you use it to build your own castle and your own house. In many ways uh, that's exactly what we do to God, isn't it? We rob God. He gives us gifts, he gives us time, he gives us the materials that we need and he asks us to build his kingdom And we take what he's given and we build our own castle and we devote it to our own luxury and our own pleasure and our own glory. And God says to us, are you going to rob me? He says that at the end of Malachi. Go home and read chapter 3 of Malachi when you get home this afternoon. God says, are you going to rob me? Is that what you're going to do? 
Now, the repayment offering teaches us that it's possible for us to rob God, to rob God of the things that he's loaned to us. Well, the second half of the passage of the guilt offering deals uh, really with another way that we can rob God, maybe a way that we might not expect. And that is we can rob God by robbing our neighbour. Now, it might not seem to us that robbing another person is a way of robbing God. You know, if we rob another person, we think that we've robbed them and, uh, you know, I guess we have. But the repayment offering here teaches us that... uh, that robbing another person is robbing God. Look at uh, chapter 6, verse 1. If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord, by doing what? By deceiving his neighbour. And it goes on to describe ways uh, of deceiving and robbing a neighbour. But if God's given people stuff to use in serving him and if we take it off them, we're not just robbing them, but we're robbing God, aren't we? We're robbing God's purposes for what he gave them those things. Verse 1 to 5 of chapter 6 goes on to describe a whole lot of ways that we can steal from God by stealing from other people. So it might be uh, straight out stealing from someone. Uh, you might just blatantly swipe something from, uh, from their house or from a shop. Uh, you might copy music and games and videos and software and all that kind of thing and, and rob people in that way. You might, uh, you might rob from God by, extort- by extorting someone. Uh, you might charge unreasonable prices for something. You might use threats of violence, uh, of running uh, someone out of their business. Uh, you, might, uh, you might threaten them in order to get the work that other people have offered to them. You might uh, rob from God by uh, lying about something that someone has lent you. Uh, so someone might lend you their lawnmower and you uh, pretend that, it's, that it was actually uh, taken from you while, while you were looking after it. Uh, or they might lend you something and you lie about damage that uh, it sustained while it was in your care. You might rob from God by finding something that belongs to someone else and then not telling them about it. So uh, do you remember remember the schoolyard, finders, keepers, losers, weepers? Do do people still say that at school? I don't know. Maybe I'm showing my age. But that that, that doesn't work in God's books. There's no finders, keepers, losers, weepers. No. What belongs to a person, lost or otherwise, belongs to them because God's given it to them. God says, whenever you do any of these things, when you steal from someone like this, you steal from him. You rob God. So one side, I guess, of the repayment offering is this, that it's possible for us to rob God. It's possible for us to rob God by using the things that he's loaned to us for the wrong purposes. And it's possible to rob God by robbing and stealing from uh, our neighbour. But the point of the uh, repayment offering is not simply to tell people that stealing is wrong. Uh, the point of the, uh, the repayment offering is to tell people that when they steal from God, they need to make efforts to repay what they've stolen. 
Uh, so the repayment offering had this, uh, this idea when, uh, when you'd stolen from someone, you had to, uh, if you'd stolen from God, you bought a ram and on top of the ram you had to add 20% uh, to the value that you'd stolen from God. If you stole from someone else, you had to give back what was, o- what was owed uh, and then you had to bring a ram and again you had to add 20% to what was owed. So there was this kind of 20% additional fine or penalty uh, for stealing uh, from people. Now in the same way that uh, we're not bound anymore to bring rams to the temple to sacrifice, I don't think we're bound anymore either to sort of uh, adhere to the repay plus 20% idea. Nevertheless, there's an important principle, I think, in the repayment offering that we need to sort of come to grips with. Jesus says uh, in Matthew 5, for instance, if, you're, if you are there offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is saying, before you come and worship me, go and sort things out with your brother. Repay what's owed to them. Sort things out. Similarly, Nicodemus, uh, when, he's converted, uh, in, when he was converted in the New Testament, God uh, so took hold of his life and his heart and so radically transformed him that he, not just, he didn't just pay back 120%, he, uh, he paid back four times what he had robbed from people. What's the point? I think the point is that we should go to great lengths to make up for the wrongs that we've committed against people. I think that was the spirit behind what Nicodemus was doing. He wanted to make reparations. He wanted to repay what was owed. And that doesn't just include financial matters, but it includes any matters, I think, where we've wronged and hurt people. You know, whether it's because we've been rude about someone or bitter about someone or whether we've abused them behind their back or to their face. However we've stolen from someone, we ought to sort of make efforts to repay and to make up to make restitution. Whether we've robbed from someone by being a bad husband or a bad wife or a bad parent or a bad child, again, however we rob from people, we ought to make efforts to repay what we owe. You see, there's a kind of cheap grace, isn't there? There's a kind of cheap grace which hopes for forgiveness without really confronting sin. A cheap grace which hopes for forgiveness without confronting sin, that hopes for forgiveness without really making any efforts at restoration. But the repayment offering calls on us not just to ask God to forgive us, but it calls on us to make restitution. What about repayment to God? What do you do if you've robbed God? You know, should we repay, try and make efforts to repay God as well? I think we should, actually. If you've been stingy with God for 40 years and kept back from him the things that he's given you, if you've you know, used your money basically to, to build your own life and your own castle and never thought about what you can do to serve God, if you've lived like that for 40 years, I don't think God will be disappointed with you if you move to be a person of radical generosity. If for 20 years you've barely given any attention to God in terms of worship and devotions and, uh, 
and uh, the shape and structure of your life, I don't think God will be disappointed if you now commit yourself to a life of radical worship and praise and honour and glory to God. It's not that restitution, paying back God, it's not that doing those things saves us, not at all, but like all the offerings, the repayment offering serves as a picture of what it means to have a good relationship with God. What does it look like to be in a workable relationship to God? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like living a life where we repay God for what we've robbed him and where we repay people who we've robbed. That's what it looks like to live in a workable relationship with God. I wonder if there are things uh, that you might need to deal with, things that you've been avoiding. Uh, I wonder if there are relationships uh, that you've broken that need to be fixed up. It's worth sitting down uh, and praying about that and praying that God would reveal those things to you, uh, asking if there are things that you need to patch up. That's a pretty confronting thing to pray, isn't it? And it's easy, I think, to not pray about that because we're afraid of what God might show us and we're afraid more so of what it will cost us to fix things up. It might cost us our reputation, our pride, our self-esteem. But it's no alternative to bury our head in the sand. sand. No, we need to pray and to make reparation. This is what Derek Kidner says about the repayment offering and it picks up on some of the same themes that we had last week. Uh, But it's good to hear again. This is what Derek Kidner says. One wonders how often the presence of God seems absent from our worship services, not because the minister is ill-prepared or the liturgy defective or the songs ill-chosen, but because some of those in attendance are deluding themselves, thinking that by their singing and praying they can conjure up the presence of God when what is really needed is for them to go and pay their bills, apologise to their friends, repair bridges with their neighbours, meet their obligations to their families and make practical amends for any cheating in which they've been engaged. Just as significant is the cheating that they've done on God by their meagre offerings or the paucity of time they have set aside for him in daily devotion or in public worship If reparation were made in these areas, might we not see God open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that we will not have enough room for it? Pray that God would give you the strength to make reparation, to repay where things need to be repaid. So the repayment offering teaches us that it's wrong to rob from God and from other people. It teaches us that we ought to make efforts to, uh, uh, to sort of repair the damage that's been done. But it would be overlooking a major part of this offering to think that uh, to be forgiven by God, all you have to do is pay back what you owe. You know? So if you've stolen someone's lawnmower, all you have to do is, is to give back the lawnmower and add 20% and God will be, uh, you know, he'll, he'll forgive you. It would be a mistake to think that. Why would it be a mistake to think that? Because in this offering, like all the offerings, there was a death. The person didn't just pay back what was owed, they brought a ram and they slit its throat at the door of the temple. 
Even if a person paid back everything that was owed and the 20%, they still needed to kill the ram. Why is that? Why the death of the ram? The reason is because ultimately, like we've seen, we're all robbing from God. And how do you pay that back? How do you pay God back for robbing him? You know, some things just can't be paid back, can they? How do you, rob, how do you pay God back for robbing him of dignity and honour? What, you know, what kind of price do you set on that, on God's dignity and honour? What's, what's a good price to pay back? How do you pay God back for destroying this world and raping and pillaging it to within an inch of its life? What price do you set on that? How do you pay God back for that? How do you pay God back for treating like dirt people that he's created? People that he's given life, how do you pay God back for despising those people that he loves and that you don't love? How do you pay God back for murdering a person? How do you pay God back for promising to stay with your husband or wife and then breaking it off because it's too hard? How do you pay God back for raping a person or sexually abusing a child? How how can that be paid back to God? What price do you set on that? How do you pay God back for every every day launching a, a personal crusade against God's authority and power How do you pay God back for that? No, there are some things, aren't there, that are just too costly to pay back. Some things that you just can't easily set a price on. We know that, don't we? There are some paintings which are called priceless. Why is that? Because they're too costly to value. How are we going to pay God back? Well, no ram worth a sanctuary shekel... No ram, even if it's killed, no ram like that is going to pay God back for what we've done. We owe God a debt of eternal death. And a debt of eternal death isn't paid back easily, is it? How do we pay God back? We can't. But the good news is that God's paid it back himself. He paid it back not through rams, not through burnt offerings, not through the amount plus 20%. He paid it back through his own son through the torment and the death that he suffered for everyone who believes in him. If you've been following the news lately, you'll know that the United States debt has reached over $14 trillion. $14 trillion, which means that they owe countries like China $14 trillion. Imagine if China suddenly said, you know what, United States... uh, we're going to pay back your $14 trillion to ourselves. We're going to pay back the debt that you owe us out of our own pockets. It's ridiculous. It just doesn't happen, does it? It's so costly. And yet that's exactly what God's done. God's done more than that in paying our debt of eternal death through the death of his own son. If you've got your Bible with, uh, with you, turn to Isaiah 53. It's a really well-known passage. And it's a passage which picks up on the language of the repayment offering or the guilt offering. It's a passage which speaks about Jesus uh, and this is what it says about him. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Sorry, I'm in verse 5 of chapter 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer And here it is. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. How can you pay back God for despising him, for rejecting him, for loving other things more than him? You can't, but Jesus can pay it back on your behalf. Jesus is the ultimate repayment offering who can pay back all our debts against God. Isn't that a wonderful thought? I can't even imagine what it's like to be in $14 trillion worth of debt. But in my mind I have to tell myself that the debt that I owed God was more than that. And Jesus has paid it back for everyone who believes in him. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to try and patch things up with people that we've wronged. He does want that. But it means that those things will never pay God back, the debt that we owe. The only way for our debt to be paid back is through the death of Jesus. We're going to have a moment now of silent prayer. Uh, a moment where you can uh, ask God, if you'd like, to, uh, to accept Jesus' death as payment for all the things that you owe him. Uh, that might be the first time that you've done that uh, in your life. Uh, it might be the thing that you do every day because you love and trust Jesus. Uh, but it will be a time where you can pray for that and it will be a time too where you can ask God to show you the things that you need to make good uh, in the relationships that you have So let's bow in a time of silent prayer and I'm going to close that in a few moments. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, some of us might not feel as though we've robbed you of anything much in particular. Lord, it's hard to feel the weight of sin. 
Lord, we ask that those uh, who are trusting in themselves, who don't yet know Jesus, Father, we pray that you would convict them of sin uh, and of righteousness and of judgement. But so, Lord, that we would turn to you uh, and have faith in Jesus Christ. Father, forgive us for robbing you. Forgive us for robbing you of honour and dignity and glory. Forgive us of robbing you by using for wrong things all that you've given us. Father, please forgive us and help us to look each day to Jesus, the lamb that was slain, the repayment offering par excellence and help us to trust in him and to have hope in him and confidence in him. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.